market. The S&P, the ISX stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that doesn't look back in anger, but reckons there's probably a thing or two to learn from history. I'm Andrew Page, and with me, as always, is Scott Phillips. G'day, Andrew. G'day, fools. Don't look back in anger. I get it. I get it. Do you like that one? That's, that's pretty good. Mate, I'm running out of things to say <laughs> at the beginning here. <laughs> Today on the podcast, we are taking a break from the day-to-day, and we're going to have a look at the bigger picture. Ah, that looked bad. I say, there you go. Method. Tied in beautifully. Method to the madness. Madness to your method, absolutely. And, uh, well, it was, you know, 10 years ago, uh, we had the GFC. Yes. What happened then? Will it happen again? What can we learn? Oh, All geez. of that kind of good Keep stuff. Keep it nice and bright. No, it's all right. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe there is. Maybe there's an upside. Oh, okay. We're going to talk a bit about our favorite investing books. This has been something we've been threatening to do for a while. Um, so we're going to go through top five investing books from Mr. Phillips and myself. Uh, and mate, it's your turn to saddle up on the high horse hey, hey. and rant as as, as only I best can. you can. As only you can. <laughs> nice. So, mate, uh, let's let's start with... now. Before we do, mm-hmm. I'm going to pull back the curtain just a little bit. <clears throat> okay. Because listeners who are listeners who are who are listening cleverly, intelligently, and thoughtfully, mm, all which of is them, at least two of them, are thinking, God, he sounds sick again. He was crook last week too. <laughs> and listeners, here's the here's a little bit of a look inside. This is actually last week. What? Well, or, or maybe you're listening to it next week. In any case, we recorded this one last Friday, not not today, because mm-hmm. uh, I'm right now, as we speak, hopefully asleep in a hotel room in Washington, D.C. Hey. I'm off for a week. So uh, we recorded this one early, but we thought it was a really good opportunity to try and cover some of the big picture questions that we don't often get to here on the podcast. Yeah, and there's always good stuff. To and hopefully about. you're better by this time next week, oh, dude. Oh, man, I hope so. I, it's, I, I, do, I do a man cold better than anyone else. <laughs> I can take the smallest <laughs> sniffle. And I can I can really pretend I'm on my deathbed. I'm, I'm I have no doubt about that. Uh, so, but we do hope you are on the men. And thank you for coming in and recording I'm the podcast. Happy to buddy. do it. Happy to do That's, it. You love our listeners that much. I really. Appreciate I do. It. I do. I love it. Yeah, mate, right. you give me a platform, and I am, I am going to stand <laughs> on a platform. That's more the point. Whether you could have been in a hospital bed. You still d- so demand to be. Whether you want me here or not, wheeled into the studio <laughs> so you could rant. Absolutely. All right. Let's talk GFC. Why don't um, we? Now, uh, it was mid-October. In fact, we, when we were talking um, in October, we were talking about the GFC, but we thought there was a lot more to sort of say there. Mid-October of 2007, the All Ordinaries Index, the uh, major index which measures mm-hmm. the average performance of about the top 500 stocks, hit around 6,873. It's a relatively arbitrary number that's not going to mean a lot to anyone, but it was a record all-time high, and yet... We have yet to surpass that record all-time high and yet. 10 years on. Except we kind of have, though, right? Well, we'll get to that. Well, I've All also right. got to talk about, too, is where it got to. It was in around about March of 2008. The thing was below 3,300 points. So for those that are playing along at home, that's a 50% drop. So and if we were live-tweeting the GFC, brutal. we would have had the kind of highs. We'd still feel okay. Mm-hmm. Right now, we're thinking... Oh, the market's fallen a little bit, but I'm sure it's fine. Buy on the dips was one of those things that plenty of people were saying. <laughs> Couldn't possibly get worse, could it? At the time. Imagine that. Talk about jargon and, yeah. It would have been cool to have Twitter or Facebook or something back then to kind of be able to sort of see that, that kind of tide was roll. Was Twitter not right. around in 2007? Wow. The iPhone was only just around. The iPhone's only 11 oh, years old. Man, it flies, I know. doesn't it? Isn't that bizarre? So here's the thing. Um, you're absolutely right. What that index correct it doesn't capture is is dividends. <laughs> now there is a version of the index that does, which is called the accumulation index. Aye, and aye. if you factor in dividends, of why? Frankly, I don't care if you're the most ardent growth investor in the world. Why wouldn't you? It's it's a big part of returns over over the long long term. It actually dividends account for about half of your total return. So it's crazy not to include it's pretty them. Awesome, isn't it? 
Um, Man, and that's the power of dividend reinvestment, by the way. Quick tangent. Huge. All right, Ab- absolutely huge. So when you when you roll that in, as you should, because mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's like an investor in property saying, I just don't factor in rent. I mean, why wouldn't you, right? Yeah. So, yeah. But when you do, actually, we are at a record high. You had to mention property, didn't you? I had to put it in. <laughs> I had to put it in. Um, and here's, here's a really interesting thing that you've mentioned before. Now, we, are, we like to deal in round numbers when you sort of say, over the last Don't 10 we? years, the market has returned X or whatever. And mm-hmm. exactly at the moment, at this point in time, even if you do use the accumulation index, eh, it's not spectacular. Right. I think what is about 3% or something yeah, yeah, on average yeah. over the last 10 years. Yeah, so, you know, we talk a lot about the power of long-term investing. And I think a lot of people would sort of rightly say, yeah, that's all good and well, you mm. idiots. But I've done that. <laughs> And I've still only gotten three percent. I've taken all this risk. I've diversified. I've yep. done everything. Even if I bought an index fund, I've gotten three percent per year. But what will happen, of course, as you sort of frame shift forward, as that ten-year period rolls on, right? When we get to March of 2018, we will now be measuring from the absolute bottom of the market. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, in a very, very short space of time, yep. in a five-month period or whatever it is, yep. we is one, two, three. It's about five-month period. Five, call it five-six-month period. Nothing wrong with your mental arithmetic. No, uh, hey, the human calculator, statistor, <laughs> they call him. <laughs> So, they really don't, dude. That's no, very they dirty. Don't. Actually, no, that's another story for another day. So, uh, but, but what will happen is that we will then be going, wow, 10-year average return is, and it'll be spectacular. And yeah. probably just as disingenuous, frankly, yeah. as those that only measure from the peak. So the truth is somewhere between those two. I was going to say, we should do a podcast after dark. We just have a few beers and have a chat. And I thought, no one wants to listen to that. <laughs> no, 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 no. We think it was funny, but no one listened. Bad idea. You're exactly right, man. I, I, that's one of my f- absolute bugbears is people who put, pick a point with the top or the bottom and say, it's been a t- you should never invest in the ASX because over the last year it's only done 3% per year, right? Yeah. So yeah, if you'd invested all of your money on that date and none before and none after, yeah. and you'd just measure it to right now, that's all that would have happened. And, and it's kind of, it kind of gives people's mindset away, right? Because those same people will, will when the market's up, you know, probably 10% a year by the time we hit that, hit that, you know, sort of five month time, that's going to be a point of time when you kind of go, well, where do we go from here? What's the... You know, no, no one's going to say, oh, you're right, actually. No, you're right. We've waited five months, now everything's better again. So it kind of, mm. it's one of those stats that you really find out people's true colors. And we'll include ourselves. We're all biased to one degree or another. Our bias is towards the long-term proven out performance over a century of shares. Mm-hmm. Um, we think that's a pretty good basis to start from. But, you know, it's, it's as you say, we won't be looking at 2008, March, and saying, well, everything's okay. Look how great the market's been since just that point. The bigger picture is over the very long term. The average return is still... 9 or 10% a year, and I think that'll probably continue for a long time to come. Yeah, it seems about right. Um, uh, what what lessons can we draw from the GFC? I think it's really... So the first is that things seem really normal and natural during the booms. Yeah. So 2007, there weren't a lot of people screaming the market was overvalued, right? Now, in hindsight, we look back and go, oh, things were a bit frothy back then, and they yeah. kind of were. Um, I think that's the first thing. Second thing is the falls that we did suffer also make... 2007 look frothier than it probably was. Mm. So you look back now and say, well, we've only done X since then, therefore it was a bad time to buy. Yeah. Hindsight bias is called bias for a reason. It, it really doesn't let you look sensibly at any of these things. But they're the first two. The, the last one I probably would throw in before I, I hand the microphone to you, Andrew, is people, the, the worst the, the worst thing about the GFC is it scares people out of the market. Mm. And so there were some people who probably were never investing in shares. By 2006 and seven, they went, Everyone's doing it. This is making money. This is worth getting involved, and in. I might get involved. Now, FOMO, right? Or, 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 even, or even just frankly, not even pure FOMO. Just like, oh, actually, I was worried about shares, but it seems like it's okay. You know, there's been there's been five or six or seven years of gains. I now feel comfortable enough in shares to get involved, even if it's not pure FOMO. It's just literally the weight of what they see as historical evidence. Mm-hmm. They finally get involved, 
The market then crashes five months later and they go, I knew I shouldn't have done this. This was a stupid idea. My cabbie slash barbecue mate slash brother-in-law talked me into it. I've had enough. I'm selling. Mm. And they got out at the bottom. They did exactly the worst. They bought at the top, sold at the bottom, and sworn off the market ever since. Yeah. And then missed the entire recovery on the way back. So I would say that's, you know, you've got to invest for the long term. You have to know these things happen. Volatility will happen. Crashes will happen. Booms will happen. Euphoria and pessimism will happen. Mm. The whole gamut of human experience is lived through the stock market. Mm. But if you invest for the long term and don't freak out about, you know, peaks and troughs, mm. you'll probably do okay over the long term. We love what a good, we love a good stock market movie, don't we? Don't we? You know, whether it's I love Wall, Wall Street, Street. But, you know, <laughs> Boiler Room. Oh, uh, Wall Street is so good. Wolf of Wall Street. You Michael know. Douglas with that massive big mobile phone <laughs> so is cool. just timeless. So cool. Wasn't such a great fan of Wall Street too, no, I, if I have to say. But you know what I love about Wall Street? Oliver Stone it. made it as a cautionary tale. And it inspired an entire generation of Wall Street traders who just wanted it's, to get rich. It's so true, isn't it? And and the thing is, they're very cool movies, but I think it sort of led to the common misconception of what it's all about. Yeah, it's that's all about a good point, it's all about um, you know Ferraris and snorting yep. coke and you know throwing tossing dwarves and all of these kind of crazy things that they do in these movies. And it's just for the record, we don't call them dwarves; they just call them dwarves on this. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh man, I've, you've got me into yes. I just do apologise for going, that. I just walk going. straight through there. But but it, it but it but it. <laughs> Flummoxed me, mate. So the, the point is, is not that all none about of those the, guys. The high pressure, high frequency. Here's training. the lesson, though. All of those people that are doing that aren't actually investors. These are the these are the right, middlemen right. with their snouts yeah, that's in the right, trough. Exactly. That are clipping the ticket. Yeah, They're yeah. the people encouraging the mum and dads to invest. They're the yes. people who are stealing. Not maybe that's too hard to read. <laughs> maybe it's not. But you know, they are they are the people who are who are who are who are basically Allegedly. benefiting from the activity yes. as opposed yeah, to the underlying right. wealth creation that's there. And we'll that, talk about a book inspired by that a little bit later. Very true. We will indeed. And I guess I guess that's the first thing to and, and it's always this idea of oh my gosh it's super volatile it's super risky because of all of that yeah. and you know the, the best thing you can do i think uh, as an investor is to forget about the market altogether and just look at the actual business that you were buying yeah you know when, when you when you look at um small business owners when they're looking at investing into a business you know they <laughs> they look at they look at the balance sheet they look yeah. at the income they look at the what the business model is they've got all these really sensible stuff and you take those same smart people and you put them in the stock market and all of a sudden it becomes about trends and vix indices and you know all of this other kind of nonsense which yeah. is so far removed from what you're actually trying to do is it's just incredibly ludicrous so i guess that's the first thing um to say the other thing i said and I, I say this a lot because it's just such a good saying is that every every bubble is every, every crash is seen as a risk beforehand yes and it's always seen as an opportunity <laughs> afterwards that's a really good quote and it's it? such a good one and yep. so so there's a lot of in fact you guarantee it in any given month you'll open up the financial review or any of these sort of financial sort of publication there'll be someone there calling a crash that is coming yep. and one of these days they'll be right because crashes just you know it happens yep. um uh, and everyone sees it as a reason not to be investing. Afterwards, everyone will be telling you how smart you would have been if you'd got in at that point in time. Mm. Now, I wouldn't for a second suggest that you try and even bother with that game because it's an unwinnable game. It's just too much luck. No one knows yep. when the next crash is going to happen. Yep. I mean, if everyone did, the crash wouldn't occur, right? It's <laughs> it's, it's that kind of thing. Yeah, so, right, right, right. So you know what you do? You, rem you remind yourself that it actually doesn't matter too much. You dribble a little bit of cash in. Mm -hmm. you, buy, you focus on good quality companies. God, we God, we hammer the same old stuff all the time, don't we? But it is—it's that lesson yeah. that just comes back again and again and Mate, again. I'm actually going to double underline it, even though we do bang it on a lot. Because if if, this if we make if we make no other if 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 our listeners remember nothing else in five years' time other than this, this is the one thing I want them to remember. It's worth it. Is you just believe us, please, or, or prove it for yourself. But either way, look at the data. Yeah, don't take care over of the it. over the long term. The market will deliver you really meaningful compound growth in terms of your wealth if you invest. And stay the course. Mm. You know, investing is interesting. It's 
fun for some of us. It's a hobby for others of us. Um, so it's wrenchingly terrifying at times. Right. But the thing is, with you know, not selling is the answer. If you're going to get, please, for the love of God, don't get freaked out of the market when things get tough because they will. And you've got to know this is going to come. You've got to expect it. And you've got to say to yourself, no matter what happens, I will stay the course. And mm. if you do nothing else, if you listen to nothing else that we talk about here, the rest of our dribble and carry on, please stay the course when things get tough. It will, I promise you, give you a better return long-term than if you sell out at the first sign of panic. Yeah, I, I think that's very well said, mate. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Let's talk a little bit about investing books. Yes, speaking of books. Now, you know, one of the questions that I think comes up again and again through mailbag and just through general conversation is people say- And frankly, Liam said to us, guys, you got to talk about books. <laughs> that's, that's the main reason, let's face it. <laughs> um, but it's true though. Yeah, and, no, it is. It is. And, and, and people, I, I, I'm, I'm interested. I, I get what you're saying. You know, that conversation we just had is like, yeah, there's a lot of sensible reasons to do this yep. kind of stuff. Yeah. So, and, and then the, the, the next logical thing is, great, I want to learn about it. So, listeners, pause your podcast right now. Go and grab yourself a pen and paper because we're about to give you a list of books. That was just me saying that so that now they can go and do it while you keep talking and then we can't come back. You're right. right. Okay. Everyone ready? Good job. But yeah. let's Hang on. Let, let them get it. You, okay, can, you can hit pause, mate. It's, it's a podcast. Oh, yeah. Well, welcome to 2017. <laughs> so, so what, what, um. Yeah, Bear walked into a bar. The barman said, why the why big pause? pause? <laughs> you completely boom, boom. Me. Sorry, you, mate. Sorry. You could let me finish. Can I you, move know, on? you know what's yeah. important in comedy? Oh, Timing. Yes. Go on. Is that what that was? Was that comedy? Was it? Okay, so it would have been let, if you'd give me. The let's list. let's let's move All on. Right, now I've completely lost my track. Oh yeah, that's Books. what I was going to say. <laughs> so I think the, the biggest mistake people make is that to to become good at investing is that you need to do you mm. need to go down very traditional routes. That is, you need to do a degree in economics or a degree in finance, or you need to do some of these kinds of things. Yep. I'm not, not going to bag that. If you do that, that's a wonderful thing. But I would actually say it's really not necessary. In fact, some of the best investors I know have had really non-traditional type educations. Yeah. Um, we have we have people write to us and say, I want to be an analyst. What should I do? And my answer is always, well, if you want a job with one of those traditional firms, here are the kind of courses and things you should do because you look like your CV looks good. Yeah. If you want to be a really good investor instead of trying to please someone who's going to hire you, yeah, these are the books to read. Yeah. And, and the thing is too, that one of the really bizarre things about academia, and again, I don't want to bag it. There's a lot of good stuff in there as well, but they still teach some pretty bizarre theories that are out yeah, there, they? which just don't hold true in the real world. So the good news is that you don't need to commit years and years and years to very, very expensive courses. Um, you can just pick up some books very, very cheaply and you can go through them at your own pace. And I think it will really, really give you a good rounding. So let's do... Uh, you do one, I do one, All right. and we'll go through them all. What's your first one? I'm going to start in a really simple place. It's a book called One Up on Wall Street, mm -hmm. One Up on Wall Street, the word one, by Peter Lynch, who is a famous US fund manager of years gone past. Mm. And he basically talks about the advantage that the individual investor has over the big end of town. It's our ability to buy smaller chunks of companies, to do more personal research. He calls it scuttlebutt. Literally looking at who's going into the shops or who, what products you're using or someone else is using. Looking at small companies that haven't gone across the radar of somebody important. And, and you know, one of those kind of, um, uh, you know, in terms of, in terms of trying to find the opportunities that others are missing, the individual investor who's just literally going about their life, keeping their eyes open, their ears open and looking around them, the product you're using, the coffee you're drinking, the shirt you're wearing, the shop you go to, the mm. mobile telco that you use, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The things you come across in your work, mm. um, it gives you a much broader range of opportunities than the individual, than the, than the professional investor. 
Um, and Lynch went on to absolutely smash the market over more than a decade. So one up on Wall Street is my first book One idea. cautionary thing I will say there is I do think like a lot of the investing greats, they deliver these great lessons and then people oversimplify them and they kind of lose a little bit. So what often gets said of Lynch is, you know, is that, oh, if, if you walk past a Starbucks and there's a lot of people, you should go buy shares. And he's yep. not saying Correct. that. You know, he's, he's saying it gives, gives you a bit of color. Gives starting you, point for it's research. It's a wonderful starting point, but don't just buy it because you see a bunch of people in JB Hi-Fi. Exactly. Um, the most important thing is what, um, is a book by Howard Marks. What's it called? It's called the most important thing. What's the book called? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, uh, what I, 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 I've talked about Marks before. I really like, in fact, you can, you can. That's Howard Marks, M-A-R-K-S. Yeah. And you can go to his website and he writes these really great letters for free for everyone, um, all the time. And they're really, really lengthy. Sometimes a little bit dense, but very, very good reads. And mm-hmm. this most important thing is actually about 12 different most important things. Yeah. And he sort of makes the joke at the start. You know, he found himself sort of talking to people saying, you know, the most important thing about investing is diversification. The most important thing about investing is, and there's like, there's kind of all of these most important things, yeah. but it is, I think it's a very accessible book. It's a book that I've actually read multiple times and I still get something out of it each time I do. It's probably my number one pick. Nice. I'm going to throw in the Warren Buffett way. Warren Buffett is a man that listeners have never have heard of because we've never ever mentioned him in our podcast. Who's that so dude? Uh, so, some, some bloke in Nebraska and Omaha. Mm-hmm. He happens to be the richest investor in the world. Okay. Uh, Warren Buffett is a genius. This is a book about him, not by him. Uh, but it's a really good example and explanation of his life, the sort of business he's bought. It's a little bit dated now, but it gives a really nice example of, of what he looks for, how he buys. It's a little bit formulaic in the end in terms of trying to work out what sort of companies Warren Buffett would like. Uh, Buffett himself is nowhere near that formulaic, but it's a really interesting primer and a good way to start thinking about the sort of investing that Warren Buffett does that really made him the world's richest investor. I'm going to follow you up on that one. Please do. And I'm going to talk about a book called The Essays of Warren oh, Buffett. You can trump me. So, uh, so what happened, what, um, now the best thing really that you can do, and again, the most this, important thing. this is, this is all for free. <laughs> you can just go to the Berkshire website and you yeah, can download all true. of his annual letters and they're just, they are a really great grounding in education. But what, what, um, uh, Robert, Hogstrom, you said? I forget now. I should have should have done a bit more research before the show. I think that's what Warren Buffett way. In any case, oh, I, I, I wish it was Roger, Roger Lowenstein. Thank you, thank the... you, mate. Thank you. Yep. I'm blaming that on the cold. Um, <laughs> uh, what he's done is he's taken all of those essays and he's grouped them by theme. So it's yeah. basically, if you don't want to read all of those letters, this is the next best thing. In fact, in a lot of ways, it's probably the best thing because yep. it just it just streamlines everything, and it is absolutely a must read. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think it's a great way of understanding Buffett in context and over time. And the thing is with Buffett too, he's such a, I always cringe a little bit when we talk about Buffett <laughs> because everyone talks about Buffett and, but you know, it, it, and there's a lot of, he gets misquoted all yeah. the time and it's just, it's a little bit corny, but you know, what cliches are cliches though, right? Cause well, the truth. There's, 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 a, there's a degree of truth to them. Right. So I would just say, read that. Don't, don't read, you know, what some idiot saying, um, uh, you know, in an article somewhere, go, hey. go to the hey. source. I'm not talking about you. No, no names mentioned. <laughs> Because I know it's your favorite. Somebody writing an article. Thank you very much. I did not come out right. On my business card. Read the book. Uh, Next one from me is a book called Good to Great by Jim Collins. This is not an investing book at all. It's actually a business book. And it's a book about companies that, Mm. compared to their competitors, went from good, so decent, good, you know, Mm. to great Mm. over a period of time. And this is a a really, really strongly researched book. Uh, Most books about businesses are kind of anecdote and... Um, authors view and interviews and stuff like that. These guys literally took a whole lot of financial data and said, right, let's look at all the public companies we can find. Let's find pairs of them where one did fantastically well and the other one didn't. So it takes out industry bias. It takes out um, uh, macroeconomics. It takes out all that sort of stuff. 
and just literally says, right, let's take two companies side by side, same industry, doing the same sorts mm. of things. One went from good to great. The other one went, stayed at good or went badly. Mm. What, what differentiated the two mm. businesses? And it's a really, really strong summary of the sorts of attributes that are needed to go from good to great. And it helps as an investor, if we're business focused investors and we think we should be, that's one book that I think will make you a better investor because it makes you better at understanding business. I got a book for all the cynics out there and <laughs> I'm a cynic. So I, I, I like this book. It's a, it's a, it's an old classic. It's called, where are all the customers yachts? By Fred Schwed. Schwed. And it is, it is this wonderful look at the culture, the industry that is wall street and makes this very interesting observation that a lot of the people on Wall Street um, are doing extraordinarily well and probably a lot better than the clients <laughs> that they are giving advice to. So right. it's a really nice cut through as to a lot of the nonsense that is out there in the professional sphere mm -hmm. of investment advice. And I think it's 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 worth reading before you approach anyone in this industry. Yep. I, I should include us in that as well. Right, right. I think that's a good way. Uh, for me, the next one, I'm going to stay with a Warren Buffett theme, but shift just one seat to the left. And talk about a book called Poor Charlie's Almanac. Now, the book is about, it's the quotes and the writings of Charlie Munger, who's Warren Buffett's vice chairman at Berkshire Hathaway. Equally impressive, even more acerbic and straight shooting than Buffett a himself. total polymath. He is uh, just yeah. a brilliant man. Like the, He is the epitome of genius. He, yeah. he is the Elon Musk of his time, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, just a, an incredibly smart guy. Buffett um, wouldn't be Buffett without Munger, frankly, right, exactly. if I could say that. Now, Munger's a big fan of uh, Benjamin Franklin, who wrote a book called Poor Richard's Almanac, hence the Poor Charlie's uh, Almanac title, yeah. if it seems a bit strange, mm -hmm. a bit funny. Um, look up Poor Charlie's Almanac. It is just chock full of really pithy little one-liners, lots of really good quality wisdom. Uh, I haven't read it, frankly, as recently as I should have. It, it, yeah, even same. talking about it now makes me want to go back and have another look. Uh, just on that, too, for the YouTube generation, YouTube Charlie Munger, there's a whole bunch of toys. He's, done, he's yeah. given a whole bunch of lectures to university graduations and stuff. It's like some really old black and white footage of him yeah. talking about behavioral finance before behavioral finance was a thing. And yeah. just such, you know, rather than watching MasterChef or some nonsense, click on that one night and you'll do yourself a huge favor. We're big fans of MasterChef, of course. Um, I, will, I, will, I will just be a little more specific than you, mate, then. I would look up specifically on YouTube, Charlie Munger, The Psychology of Human Misjudgment. Oh, what a That's classic. the name of the, it, it is really, really fantastic. Spare yourself an hour, put it aside, listen and watch that. It is really, really high class Keep stuff. your finger over the pause button though, because if you're like me, you'll need time to process it. He talks right, very right. fast and there's a lot of information. There. I don't like people that talk fast. <laughs> no names mentioned. <laughs> what about you, pal? Uh, where am I up to? Oh, here's, here's, Second last this, one. This, on. this is a little bit controversial. Um, there's a book oh, out there me. called uh, Rand A Random Walk Down Wall Street. A Random Walk Down Wall Street. So this is... A, the drug man coming home after a This is from the guy the who invented the idea of the efficient market hypothesis. Oh, that's one of my very, very, very least favorite hypotheses. Yeah, so, and that's, so I, have to, I have to preface this. So that he's a guy who takes a very, very smart, a very, very interesting idea and probably goes too far with it. So mm. he's, he's a little bit ideological at the end, but I think it makes some really, really interesting points. And for me, where it really resonates is particularly for those that are trying to sort of uh, forecast prices short term and employ mm. a bunch of techniques that purport to be able to do that and just absolutely, excuse the language, craps all over it in a very, very robust and scientific <laughs> way. And I think it's a very, very good good read for anyone who's sort of approaching this. And there's, because there's a lot of people out there that have this, you know, the secret to turn lead into gold. And it is, it is something that will, I think, give you a, a very good grounding on that. Just don't, just don't take it to its logical conclusion.
So what conclusion should you draw, mate? What's what's the good and bad, just very quickly? I, I think basically, I'm trying to do it without getting too specific because I know it divides people yeah, and I'm do. going to get a bunch of hate mail, but I'm not a fan of technical analysis. That's and, underscore. No. <laughs> I'm just not, you know, and if it's yep. your thing, then that's great. I don't want to get into a debate, but it, for me, it's, it's I, I, I don't think it's investing. I think it's trading and speculating and I just, I've just never seen any evidence for it. But, but I think he, he makes some very good, interesting arguments as to mm. why you need to look at that very, very, very skeptically. Good point. Good point. My turn. Uh, the last one on my list, the last of my five, is a, a book, a little book, called, funnily enough, The Little Book of Behavioral mm. Investing. Yeah. We talk heaps about um, investing psychology, biases, all that kind of stuff. Um, this is a really strong book. James Montier wrote it. Um, just it's, It literally is small, chock full of really useful examples of those biases. So if you want to kind of get a handle on the sort of things that are likely to bring you down as an investor, and frankly, as a human being, um, with really good examples you can look at and go, Ah, I get it. That's what they mean. Yeah. This is this is one I would absolutely go straight to. The Little Book of Behavioral Investing. You'll be a better investor and a better human after reading it, I promise. Can I just say too, there is a whole series of little books and not all of them are great, but a lot of them are very, See very Jack good. See Jack Jump and Mary the Sheep. No, no, no. no. Oh, no little golden books? No, there'll be the little books. book of valuation. There'll be the little book of, I forget now. There's Sideways a range. Markets, they're, yeah, yeah they're, 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 all, they're all very digestible. They're all, um, well, they're all little, so they're easy. You'll, you'll, you'll plow through them very quickly, and they've got a lot of wisdom. And and, and the people who, who do this have approached some of the industries best, and they just yep. do it in such yeah, an accessible point, yeah, way. Yeah. So Yeah, they're written by, uh, Jack Bogle's written one, I think, about index investing, a little book of markets, something like that. That's really worth yes, reading as yes, well. Yes, yes, definitely. What's your last one, mate? Uh, the last one is a book called Black Swan, which Black Swan. isn't so much about investing, although very much relates to it. And Swan. it was very, that, very... Wasn't that a, a ballet? Uh, no, you're thinking of something else. One life? Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Um, um, but... Black Swan, that was, that was the restaurant. No, that's the name of the dips. Oh, mate. The, the, the Greek the, dips. No. No? The, the Black Swan, the All guy right. from uh, Nicholas Taleb, and he, he talks about... Uh, let's try not to get too nerdy here. Like how everything, <laughs> everything in finance sort of gets no looked at in terms of normal distribution. Like, you know, things cluster around a mean, basically some things happen. And <laughs> was this, was this the non very, uh, I, I, I guess what it's saying is that there's a lot of things out there <laughs> yep. in the world in general and in finance that just don't follow normal statistical rules. And right. we kind of, like, That's a way to put great it. examples here will tend to be things like world war two or, or the internet, or in fact, Black swans. And this is how it got The, the once in a hundred year storm that happens every 10 years? Right. right. It's a kind of thing that, that there's three conditions for a black swan. The first is it's just, it's a complete outlier. No one expects it to happen. Two, when it does happen, it carries with it major, major consequences. Mm. And three, after the fact, we all can perfectly rationalize and explain it. 9-11 mm. is another great example of a black swan. And it happens all the time in markets. You know, right. it's just one of these things that no one thinks that the, uh, the GFC was going to happen and the credit crisis over in the US was going to happen. It happened, it caused a huge mess. Mm. And then afterwards we all perfectly understood why it is. And I think it's a really great way of getting your head around because again, the, the, the stock market and finance has so many numbers associated with it. It just, it makes itself very amenable to statistical analysis. But a lot of those statistical tools are, are kind of frankly inappropriate for the job at hand. And it's just a really, really neat way of looking at investing and in fact, the wider world. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Oh, you want to get on your high horse? <laughs> How did you, why would you assume that? I just guessed. Here we go. That poor flea bitten nag. <laughs> His back is about to break. Hey, pretty nice. Had a few too many cheeseburgers. Not that many more. All right. I'm saddling up. Go I'm on. Climbing up. What are you going to do? Taking the reins. I'm off. 
I want to rant about people who know the value of nothing but the price of everything. Oh. There are so many people out there who will tell you exactly what they know and exactly how right it is yeah. with absolute conviction and be completely and utterly stone motherless wrong. Mm. It is absolutely bananas. There are people out there who, who have done all these. You talk about the academics before, right? The academics who say, this is how the world works. Mm. A plus B equals C, no matter what. Mm. You say, well, what about D? Oh, no, we don't. that's not in the model. No, no, it's just A plus B. But if the model's not right, then how can it be the real? No, don't ignore that. Mm. Just look at the model. It is absolutely mad. Those people who are so sure about everything in their lives, and we investors are a great example of this, right? Mm. You read about academics. You read about investors in the paper. You read about people who speak with such absolute conviction that despite any possible negative reality, any possible negative outcomes, they are, they are desperately right despite it. Mm. These are the guys who are so clever, and the guys and girls who are so clever, who are so thoughtful, and they genuinely are intelligent people. Mm. But they're so smart, they've convinced themselves they're right, that their version of the world is right, their model of the world is right. Mm. What I love about you and I, mate, is we're not that smart. You know, we, we are just we are just thoughtful people who, well, okay. Speak, speak for yourself. All right, you're not that smart. So, <laughs> so here's the, you know, and, and the, it's leaving room for doubt. When you can look at something and say, you know what, I reckon that's probably right. But here are the areas I might be wrong. I might go and try and find stuff that disagrees with the model. It disproves the thesis. What I love about science, you're a scientist by trade. Mm -hmm. What I love about science is that you, know, you hear the stories of the guy who spends 30 years working on this particular theory. And in one lecture, some other guy debunks the entire theory and he goes, well, that kind of sucks, but nice. Thanks very much for doing that. I'm looking forward to seeing what you do next. Yeah. It's that reality of searching for truth, not trying to be proven correct despite the evidence to the contrary. This is what it brings investors down all the time. These are the people who, and you mentioned it this morning, we're having breakfast, um, you know, Taleb himself, who said, here's the, here's the issue of the black swan. Therefore, there must be a black swan coming. Therefore, I'm going to short everything and really complex options and all this sort of garbage. Mm. And so you can, be, you can be thoughtful and you can be smart and you can be potentially right. Mm. But if you're not right, the chances that you're going to blow yourself up become massively, massively, massively higher. The people who are so convicted about the next crash, double dip recession. Mm. There's a US fund manager called John Hussman. He's been shorting the market since 2009. Ooh. Eight years later, he's still waiting for the crash. Mm. The market would almost have to go to zero for him to make money at this point. He's lost Even so then. much money on the way. Mm. And so, you know, was it possible? Absolutely. Was it likely? Well, maybe it was even possible. You know, maybe it was likely. I don't know. When you bet so strongly, when you're so convicted in your view, Steve Keen's another one, right? There are so many of these people, smart people who are worth listening to, don't understand what they have to say, but the level of conviction blinds them to the alternative. And that is absolutely mad. And as an investor, you'll be definitely, definitely dry. You're either going to get bloody lucky or you're lucky to lose. There's, there's, no, there's no middle ground there. I think just you know, having the courage of your convictions is one thing. Being open to alternative views, listening, actually trying to disprove your own theories, that is the mark of the really smart investor. Yeah, humility is one of the best attributes that you can have. I'm worn out, mate. I'm done. Take a breath. Poor bloody horse. It really is. I mean, you have got, I mean, this is the hard thing too, particularly if you do a little bit of media and stuff. I mean, people want definite answers. No one wants the guy who's going to get answer. Maybe that could happen or maybe that. It's real. It doesn't give me much to go on, but that's just unfortunately the way the world works. And, and you need to, you need to have that preparedness to be proven wrong. And that's the thing you've got to ask yourself, are you investing because you want your ego yes. to be stroked? Yes. Or exactly. are you investing because exactly. you want to make money? And if, if I've got a brilliant idea that I've got high conviction, I've invested a whole bunch of money right, in, right. and then you tell me and prove to me or really well established to me that it's a stupid idea. I mean, I should give you a big hug. I mean, that is like, thank you. You know, even though I've just been proven to be completely wrong. I, 
look, I'm going to be, I'm going to find out either way, right? The market's either <laughs> yeah, going to give me a very, right. very tough schooling, yep. or I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to see the light before that happens. Yes. But quite frankly, the smarter you are, the more likely you are to succumb to this because mm. you're used to being right. Yeah. If you're a genius mathematician, if you're a fantastic writer, if you're a great painter, if you're a brilliant scientist, there's every chance you are so used to being right mm. that you get used to dismissing the alternatives, and that is absolutely setting you up for an enormous fall. Don't do it, fools. I knew there was an advantage to being not smart. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening in again, fools, on that note. Remember, you can subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money Podcast. And you should. Yeah, you can do it through an Android podcast app. You can do it through iTunes. If you must. Uh, you can go to the Triple M uh, website and you can do it there as well. And if you like what we're doing, please give us a nice rating. It does help spread the word. And if you want to find out more from us, you can go to fool.com.au forward slash Triple M. And find out what Andrew, I, and our boss Bruce have to say. Yeah, nice one, mate. And I will talk. Oh, enjoy your trip to the US. Now, as you're listening. Now, as you're listening. And I'm then going back in time. <laughs> through the magic of technology, we'll be back <laughs> next week with another Motley Fool Money podcast. Until then, full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.